either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Yeah, well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry? You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Welcome in to another exciting edition of the Screening Room Podcast. <laughs> this week, well, we are going to dive deep into the question, why'd you spill your beans? <laughs> and hopefully, you know what that means. If not, we're going to tell you. She is Hope Madden. He is George Wolf. We're from madwolf.com, and let's dive into it. Been looking forward to this one. A lot of people have. The hypnotic and hallucinatory tale of two lighthouse keepers on a remote and mysterious New England island in the 1890s, The Lighthouse. Tell me, what's a timberman want with being a wiki? Just looking to earn a living. It's like any man. Starting new. On the run. Keeping secrets, are you? No, sir. Why just fill your beans? How long have we been on this rock? Five weeks? Two days? Help me to recollect. Robert Eggers, two for two, George. Yeah, he did The Witch. Which from we love. A few years ago, yeah. Fantastic, fantastic horror movie, uh, The Witch. And he, right away, that was his first, first feature. But right away, he got the reputation that continues with this movie that bears out. He's so meticulous yes. in his authenticity in his period pieces. I mean, there was the big uh, reveal last time that the house, the main house of the witch, not only did they build it, but he made sure at the time that they build it with only the tools that would have been around at that time. In like 1620s yeah. in the New World. <laughs> so that's, wow. Okay. Right. That is that's a, hardcore. That is hardcore. <laughs> and uh, it's sort of the same thing here because from what we understand, they built the lighthouse. They did, yeah. That is the mainstay, the rock um, of the setting of this movie. And it's it's another incredibly otherworldly period piece that is almost a two-man show. It's oh, pretty yeah. darn close. Yes, very. And it's driven by these two fantastic performances, and it's just so beautifully photographed in black and white yep. with just really pristine cinematography by Justin Blaschke and a great sound design, too, from uh, Damien Volpe. The sound is great in this movie as well. Everything technically marvelous. And, the, and it's beautifully realized in not only its surrealism and its uh, hallucinatory nature, as the uh, tagline there said, but it also has a great bit of storytelling going on to it, too. Yeah, it really does. One of the things I think, you know, there are people who didn't particularly care for The Witch because they didn't feel like anything happened. Stuff happens in The Lighthouse, although if you're looking for... In any sort of way, a traditional narrative, right. you're not really going to find it. This is just, just, the film is a descent into madness. It is. And one thing about The Witch, another one of the polarizing natures about that movie, when it did get to the end, it gave you something concrete. Yes. Now, not everybody was happy about it. No. We talked to some people at the time who thought it would have been better to leave it more ambiguous. Yes. But no, he gave you a very concrete wrap-up to mm -hmm. The Witch. Mm -hmm. Here... Not so much. No. I mean, you're right. Things do happen. Crazy <laughs> things happen. But the thing about it is you're never, you're always a little bit off kilter yeah. about 
what am I seeing? What is, is it really real? happening? Right. Is it re- is it really happening? Uh, how much of this is reliable? And if they are all real, how can I connect them to one sort of message here? And it's by design, obviously, you can't. Yeah, uh, reliable. You said that right after we came out of it, and and I think that's a it's a really important concept for this because. Basically, what is happening, as far as you can tell, right, is that Willem Dafoe's character, who's kind of the salty sea dog who's been at the lighthouse for a long time, and he's the master uh, of the of the beam. Uh, yeah, and, and he makes that very yes, clear. Yes, he does. And Pattinson's <laughs> character is new to the island, and he is his assistant. And so um, Willem Dafoe's character is a, just a, basically a terrible boss, you know, and he doesn't let Dafoe into the chamber where the, the beam is, but he also... You don't really know for most of the film. I mean, is is he Defoe's character? Is he trying to drive Pattinson crazy, mm-hmm. or is Pattinson already a little bit crazy, and so he's not really seeing what we think we're seeing? It's really Defoe's performances. First of all, <laughs> as a salty sea dog, as a Simpsons esque sea captain. <laughs> He's absolutely brilliant. I mean, he delivers these soliloquies that are just breathtaking. Yep. And then all of a sudden, he's he's all super hurt that, you know, you know, you liked my lobster. Say it. You like my lobster. <laughs> and I've never yeah. heard anybody deliver the word ye as often or as well. Yeah. And it starts right off the bat so much so that you do. You think of the, the sea captain from you The do. Simpsons, but he's so committed to yeah. it and he keeps it going just uh, at cranked up to 11 the whole time, that it's just incredible. And Pattinson's character, Ephraim, he shows up, yeah, he's new, and he's just trying to be quiet, and he just says, wants to earn a living, and he's, you know, quietly dignified, and then you find out that maybe he's running from some demons, and maybe then, once he's at the lighthouse here, he starts running towards some new demons. Right, right. And that is really at the core of, of what happens between two guys, these two guys. And you're right. Does Thomas, Willem Dafoe's character, drive him to that? Because he says a few things in the beginning about the old lighthouse yeah, keeper yeah. that, that uh, Pattinson is replacing that make you think, mm-hmm, uh-huh. maybe, maybe so. But then, again, we just keep going back to the fact that so much of it is is unreliable. But For instance, it, there is a mermaid. There is a mermaid. Yeah. Yeah, and if you look at the IMDb page, that's those are the only three actors that get credited. Right. Uh, there are a couple other people in it. Well, but, the, yeah. Uh, but I the, mean, there's a blonde guy. Yeah, um, which we shouldn't go into. No. But, uh, yeah, the uh, only other actor credited is uh, Valeria Caraman, who plays the mermaid. So, yeah. And then we also have to talk about just how it looks, because one of the things that we never really settled on, that it, the whole thing is filmed... It doesn't use the entire screen. The no, ratio, it's, it's, yeah, a weird aspect ratio. Yeah, it's a really weird aspect ratio. So it's like a square. It is. It's a square, and you're not quite sure why that is. Obviously, it is very much on intentional. Purpose. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, early on, there's uh, a part where Robert Pattinson's character looks looks through a hole and kind of spies on Willem Dafoe a little bit, and when he does that, it's a square that he's looking through. So that's what kind of I thought. Okay, maybe now. He's using this screen as you're watching. You're peeping, these, not yes, the, yeah. exactly, exactly. But in the end, I even wasn't quite sure if that was true. No, but it's a screen aspect ratio. I don't believe I've seen before. I was thinking uh, one of two possibilities. Um, one uh, was maybe the idea. I mean, you're, the the film is so claustrophobic because even though Pattinson in particular, he's outdoors quite a bit. I mean, he's stuck on this island in these really, really unkind conditions. Oh yeah. And the, I thought that the sort of cropped 
edges made you feel contained like that. But it seemed to me more likely to me. I don't know. Uh, it gives the whole image a very sort of very um, vintage look like you're looking at something from a different era, like oh, from a, a bygone sure. era. And then somehow, sure. you know, having it not fit the screen, the modern screen, mm-hmm. I thought played into that idea, whatever it was. It's, I certainly wasn't opposed to it. No. Early on, though, I thought there was going to be a moment when the screen expanded right. you know, right. for some for some reason. That's OK. Here's the moment where but it never did. Yep. And, and that's fine mm-hmm. because it does. It really serves it not only from a claustrophobic nature, but from a yeah, an otherworldly nature. Yeah. Uh, and you definitely get the feeling like you're just you're in a different place and time. And the way it's shot in black and white and the way it plays with light and shadow, I mean, like we talked about and mentioned in our written review, it recalls some Bergman. Oh, definitely. Uh, not only in the light and shadow, but in its um, spiritual undertones sure. with metaphors mm-hmm, for light mm-hmm. and things like that. So there's a lot of that going on. And yes, I would call it a horror movie. I mean, maybe not in the classic sense. It's certainly creepy from yeah. the get-go. Oh, yeah. And there's some there's some violence for sure. sure. Yeah. But uh, it's it's just one that just puts you on edge. You're never just quite sure. Even when Pattinson's character turns and he at one point he yells at Willem Dafoe that he's a parody. Yeah. Which you're kind of thinking early on because he seems at the beginning like a parody of a sea captain, yeah. like The Simpsons. And that was a line that I could grab onto because you agree with him right away, and then it, you're reassured that okay. I am seeing something that I can believe in here. <laughs> right. you know, and it's one of those lines that you just, at least I did, just kind of just grabbed, okay, now I'm on some footing that I can <laughs> agree with because it just keeps you off balance. But it's a, it's really a, a tremendous bit of filmmaking. It really is. You know, yeah. uh, we've mentioned how great Defoe is. I don't think we've actually spent any time talking about how great Pattinson is. Uh, He's really, really good. He's really good. And if you listen to this podcast, you've heard us sing his praises before because Twilight seems like a, a lifetime yeah. ago. He yeah. has, if you haven't, noticed he has been doing a string of independent films, smaller roles, challenging roles, and he is the real deal. Yeah, he really is. Yeah, Good Time from last year was such a great performance and such a great movie. He's got a couple already this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a very, very... Imp- and I'm, I'm excited to see him play Batman, to be honest with I you. I am too, now, because he, he has earned it. He has really earned it. He's incredibly talented, and the two of them go... Mono a mano oh, here yeah. in what really looks like it was probably a very demanding shoot. Yes, particularly for Pattinson because <laughs> he's the one. I mean, he's outside in the brutal elements with you know it's it just does not look fun. Yeah, but they're they're great and the movie is so just an, it's an experience. Yeah, it's it really so is an experience. And even if you didn't like The Witch, right. I mean, I'd still say it's so different from The Witch, yeah. even though it has similarities in the way it's constructed and, and uh, in Egger's uh, commitment to authenticity of the period piece, I would still say say check it out because it's just such an, an incredible cinematic experience and definitely see it on the big screen. So, yeah, big recommendations this week for The Lighthouse. We think ye should see it. <laughs> Next up, another horror movie of a totally different nature. When a nurse downloads an app that claims to predict a moment a person will die, it tells her she only has three days to live. With the clock ticking and a figure haunting her, she must find a way to save her life before time runs out. It's countdown. Our phones have become essential. Apps keep track of our schedules, our fitness, our love lives. But what if an app could tell you how long? I got 63 years. 57 years. Before you die, would you want to know? What? 
It's fake, obviously. My girlfriend said the same thing. It knew. That app said she was gonna die. Whatever's happening to us, I think it's because of this app. All we need to do is beat the clock by one second. What if this doesn't work? A fate much worse than death will pursue you. Sometimes movies benefit from low expectations. Yeah, this one did for me. <laughs> I really went in thinking it was just going to be god-awful, and it really wasn't. It's certainly not great, but anybody that has seen The Ring is going to right away notice the similarities because it's really kind of an update, kind of a rewrite of The Ring instead of trying to figure out the nature of a videotape and try right. to find a way out of it. It's this app. And um, the, the Naomi Watts character this time is played by Elizabeth Lale. I guess she's a TV veteran, a lot of, lot of TV shows that I haven't seen. <laughs> and that's the debut feature for writer-director Justin Deck, um, who's done a lot of shorts and some TV. But So here she is a brand-new RN, and a couple of her, one of her patients dies mysteriously after telling her about this app. And, and just like in The Ring, there's a prologue with teenagers, mm -hmm. you know, where the, you, yeah. s you see the first victim with the countdown app. So even though she is doubting the fact that it's authentic, she goes ahead and downloads it, and right away, boom, she's got like less than three days to live. So that's concerning. Yeah. <laughs> so then, <laughs> well, she's trying to get rid of the app at the uh, phone store. She meets a guy who's in a similar situation. He's also been told he doesn't have long long to live. So they team up, again, much like in the ring, and they're having to go and find out the origin of this and how can we get out of it. And the main lesson here is, people, read those terms and conditions. <laughs> you know what's so funny is that, was Jexy just two weeks ago? This is This is just the horror version of Jexy. It's the same thing. You know, he downloads this new AI. He It asks, the AI asks, do you want to read the terms and right. conditions? Right. He says, nah. The app says, idiot. And yeah. then it ruins his life. Yeah. Because as they go on, one of the things that keeps popping up is they do certain things, which I, I won't go into because it's mild spoiler, and then they get, an, they get an alert on the phone that says, you have broken the contract. And another character, same thing. You have broken the contract. And that's, that's a key piece of information. But the interesting thing is, you're right, with Jexy and with these other films that we've seen, that because these phones are so ever-present in our lives now, you have movies that are going to comment on that. Oh, yeah. This one starts out like that way. But it doesn't end up that way. It's interesting. Right. You think it's going to be, okay, it's going to be a bash-me-over-the-head cautionary tale about our reliance on smartphones mm -hmm. and, you know, we don't really connect. They only keep us further apart. Okay. But no. Then it takes a turn into sort of Catholic horror. Right. Like The Conjuring or something like mm -hmm. that. Not nearly as good. No. Because they go to visit this... Uh, really over-enthusiastic priest who's all about <laughs> summoning demons. Yes, let's do it. Uh, and he's actually one of the... He, there's two characters that provide a nice bit of comic relief. He is one of them. And then there's the really smug phone guy who's great. <laughs> he, can't, he can't believe people are falling for this app because you really you clowns are really this, you know hooked on it. So then, yeah, it comes into this Catholic horror tale, and they really forget about the cautionary tale about technology, which I thought was a little bit little bit interesting, and maybe that threw some of my preconceived notions, because I thought, here it comes. Right, here comes right. the sledgehammer message about about the technology. But no, then it goes in a totally other direction, and they break down the, the code that's, uh, that the app is written in. Turns out it's Latin, and the, <laughs> the priest can read it. Oh, we got to figure it out. So 
It's certainly not nearly as effective as The Ring. It is PG-13, and we've talked before about the fact that The Ring is one of the best PG-13 yes, horrors ever. 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 This is not, but it's it's basic high school horror stuff. It's jump scares, but there's some decent jump scares. And you know, I'm not the biggest fan of jump scares. No. But this has some decent ones. Th- those high school dates are going to cling on each other's arms. You know, okay, there you go. Uh, <laughs> and in the end, he... Justin Deck, the writer-director, does figure out, I thought it was a decently clever way to get out of this Mm -hmm. for the characters to get out of it. Now there's a there's a final final reveal, not during the credits or but there's the very pretty much last shot of the movie that might lead you to roll your eyes a little bit. But uh, I thought the actual way that he gets out of this predicament of the app was was decently clever. So certainly not great, but I think it does manage to deliver some fun on on this premise, and that is countdown. And next up, a very unfair and unbalanced review of a (laughs) live concert performance from Bruce Springsteen singing songs from his album Western Stars. It's called Western Stars. Change. How do you change yourself? We've got a hundred-year-old barn filled with the best kind of ghosts and spirits. We got to play for a few friends you never know what's going to happen with new music. Heading of a heartbreaking pain. Had a little sweet spot for the rain. It's easy to lose yourself or never find yourself. The older you get, the heavier that baggage becomes that you haven't sorted through. So you run. I've done a lot of that kind of running. It's good just to point out, just out of the gate, this is a movie for Springsteen fans. Oh, yeah. You know, I remember uh, when he he went on tour. There, there have been several tours that we have seen where we thought to ourselves at the concert, this is a concert for Springsteen fans. Yes. You know, if this is, you know, you, you brought your son for to his first Springsteen concert and you were hoping for, like, some anthems, this is not the gig right. for you. We sat next to a couple we of guy, guy and his son one year. It was one of Bruce's acoustic tours. Solo tours, just him solo by himself. Solo tours, just, and he was doing deep yeah. cuts. Yeah, yeah. And we have been to shows with artists, other artists, who have done deep cuts where we didn't know the deep yeah. cuts. And I get you. I yeah. get it. You go there. You want to hear Born in the USA. You're not hearing it. Uh, so I, we do understand. But uh, for us, of course, we love that night because yeah. we knew all those songs. That's right. But here, it's pretty much the same thing. I mean... It's all about he just performs songs from the new album right. from start to finish. Yep. Well, then you get a rhinestone cowboy. At the That's end. right. So you get that because it, it, which fits because if you've heard his new album, it's very much steeped in those pop symphonies of the '70s from California, the Brian Wilsons, the Jimmy Webbs. That's what it is. A, is the vibe of the album, and I, I think the album is great. I think you do too. Yes, I do. Yeah, and it's also beneficial to be familiar with the album because then you get a sense for the different vibe that the songs take in this live performance. Yeah, and they, they uh, the performance is inside like a 150-year-old barn yeah, his that's barn. on his property. Yeah. And it's so cool. And then the other cool thing, and so and the arrangements are different. They've got a 30-piece orchestra. Yeah. Uh, Patty, uh, his, she, wife. his mm-hmm. wife, Patty Telfa, she performs on a couple of the songs. Mm-hmm. Songs that she doesn't perform on 
on the album, mm-hmm. and it really gives it a nice extra really something. Really does, really does. And then in between songs, there are these little vignettes. Sometimes uh, it's it's like voiceover of him talking, just talking about his songwriting process. But at the same time, there's a visual little storytelling going on that is really yeah. fascinating. Sometimes you see just sort of home movie quality videos of the America that he grew up in. Right. And other times it is flat out home movies from his home movie collection. Right. right. And some of them others are classic. Yeah. But Bruce likes tequila. He does. He does <laughs> like some of tequila. And uh, so those are very interesting. They give a real look into his inspiration for these songs and his his journey not only as an artist, but as a human being. Yeah. And any longtime Springsteen fan will know that he he says has mentioned many times that he has thought over these years that he's just having a protracted conversation with his audience. Right. And I, I totally get that. And so this is more of like, look, this is where I am right now. Right. It's fascinating. And I thought it was one of the voiceovers he says, and I think another band member too says, how um, the songs took on a life of their own. Now that sounds like a very self-serving cliche. Yeah. But if you know, if you're familiar with the album, yeah. and then you kind of sit, I can see how that yeah. is true. They, yeah. they do have a different sort of swing to them, a different sort of drive. I was really able to appreciate the difference. One of the things that occurred to me watching this film was that it felt like uh, a direction. So a couple of years ago, he finally wrote his autobiography, Mm -hmm. which is brilliant. And then he kind of turned that into his Broadway show Mm -hmm. where it's, you know, he's just telling stories right from his life and then playing the songs that sprung from those moments Mm -hmm. in his life. And this feels like an extension of that. It feels like the same sort of storytelling style that he's using to surround but just the newest songs, yeah. and, and I loved it. Yeah, just in the last five years, you're right. He's been an author, he's been a playwright, and now he's listed as a co-director. I think in recent interviews, I've seen him kind of poo-poo that and say, look, it's mainly Tom Zimney, his uh, his partner and his co-director yeah. here, who's done a lot. But maybe he's just trying to you know downplay it a little bit. But uh, he's listed as co-director, and uh, it's really a, just a beautiful, very graceful yeah. musical documentary, I think. And I think if you're a Bruce fan, it's a can't miss. Absolutely. And even if you're a casual fan, um, this is where he is today as a person, as an artist, as as a very successful creative person talking about the creative process. I think it's just really a nice... a 70-year-old man looking back on a life. Yeah, and it's we really enjoyed it. Western Stars. Next up, the dramatic story of the cutthroat race between electricity titans Thomas Edison and George Westinghouse to determine whose electrical system would power the modern world. It's called the Current War Director's Cut. Thomas Alva Edison. My boys and I caught in a jar, but before now has only flashed across the night sky. The future is here. Hello, I'm George Westinghouse. Nikola Tesla. I will be the greatest provider of electrical power in the world. Better than Edison. There's a contest between you. This is a battle for the brightest minds of America. The man that controls that current controls the future. This is one of those films that that languished for a couple of years during right. the Harvey Weinstein, the beginning of the Harvey Weinstein scandal, because it was it was a Weinstein film. Right, and that's why it's got the added title, Director's Cut. Right. Yeah. You know, anytime a movie takes two full years to come to screens, you're like, uh, I don't know. You want to give it the benefit of the doubt because of the sort of studio issues that it was facing 
and then also because of this cast. Because Michael Shannon, yes, please, no matter what, yes to Michael yes, Shannon. Exactly. Right? Benedict Cumberbatch, Tom Holland, Nicholas Holt. Yeah. I mean, it's it's so. you know, and it's a, it's an interesting, if not nerdy, you know, concept because Edison and Westinghouse and then Nikola Tesla, you're like, okay, there's a bunch of weirdos, <laughs> right? And they were at the height of the technological revolution at the oh, time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, and they were about to change the world. Yeah, they were fighting to see basically who controls the future. Yeah. And that's what this movie tries to spell out, the the race for it and the competition. And actually, the written review uh, on MadWolf.com was done by Matt Wiener, one of our other writers. And I think he summed it up very well, that the reason to see this movie is for the performances. Yes. In particular, Michael Shannon. And then he had this great idea that, but wouldn't it have been a better movie if they just let Michael Shannon play all three of the guys because he's such a good weirdo. <laughs> I, I like that. That would I be like an interesting that. movie. <laughs> yeah, the uh, director that came in and, and finished it is Alfonso gomez Rejon, who did Me and Earl and the Dying Girl, who which I know you liked. Yeah. Uh, and he's done a couple of others, and he's done some TV. So he came in and pretty much rescued this from the almost the scrap heap of that scandal. Yeah. Yeah, so that's again why it's being called the director's cut because it's it's fleshed out more from its original form when it was a had its original release date and then got shelved. But I think that the the problem is that they don't seem to know where to dig in so they just don't. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot a lot of fascinating stories to be told in this particular time period with this particular group of people and that the film doesn't settle on any and so it it's just not very interesting, which is really unforgivable given what they could have, you know, uh, dredged up. Yeah, there's a lot of exposition, a lot of history lesson, and too much of the potential just seems wasted. Right. Especially, especially, as you said, considering this cast. So uh, not much there beyond those performances in the current war. And one more in wide release this week, family film in 1925's historic Great Race of Mercy. A group of brave mushers travels 700 miles to save the small children of Nome, Alaska from a deadly epidemic. It's called The Great Alaskan Race. A young girl has died of diphtheria. It's highly infectious and I have no antitoxin to fight it with. This disease is fatal to children. We're going to get that medicine here. Call every hospital, tell them to send as much antitoxin as they can spare. The sea is frozen over. The ship couldn't get within 100 miles. We'll mush it in. Dog sled? You can't be serious. I can't lose secret. It won't come to that. You were choosing to transport this serum with a Stone Age solution. You have a little faith, will you? I'll do it. This is the debut as a filmmaker for writer-director Brian Presley. He's been an actor for years, a lot of faith-based stuff. And this one is certainly a family film. And it touches on a story that if you've seen the animated film from 1995, I think it was called Balto, where Kevin Bacon was the voice of the dog Balto, it's the same story. Then you will know a lot of the backstory already about this this race to save these kids and why Balto the dog has a statue in the Central Park Zoo. Yeah. Rachel Willis did the review for us for this film. And... It's a nice movie, has a lot of probably too much focus on... Treat Williams plays the doctor back in Nome who's looking over these sick children waiting for this vaccine. Uh, and not nearly enough of the the race. That's a pretty big 
issue because I have to think that's what people think they're going to see. You're going to see really pretty dogs <laughs> and you're going to see a lot of snow and some beautiful. And I think that they undercut that and they show they spend too much pensive time pacing back in Nome, which, yeah. which really is a kind of a handicap to the film. I think that what's evident is the passion that Presley has for this project, for his first feature. Yeah. He's got a clear passion for it, but struggles with some of the actual technical skills to edit and stage and shoot a compelling narrative throughout, especially, as you mentioned, with some of the race sequences that seem a little wanting in this. Yeah. So so uh, definitely a passion project. Hart was in the right place, but uh, doesn't really flesh it out too well for his debut, The Great Alaskan Race. And hey, before we head to the lobby, want to say thanks to uh, Caroline, who chimed in last week about looking forward to our review of Western Stars That's this week. That's right. So I know she wanted to see it. She and her husband, Rick, both wanted to see it. So definitely recommend it, and hopefully we can uh, help spur you out to the to the theater to check it out. And also thanks to Seth. Yeah, you know what? Every Monday, Seth not only listens, but then he always posts it to like hit the best part of his Monday. And, and that's very sweet, that Seth. Is... And we're 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 humbled and appreciative. Exactly. Really always great to hear from you. And with that, let's head to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Short stack in the lobby, but we start with one that you absolutely loved and one that we're hoping gets some consideration for Best Documentary this year at the Oscars called Honeyland. Yeah, it, it, we have said this I don't know how many times this year, but it'll be a tight race oh, uh, tight to, to race. choose the five best options. But man, for me right now, Honeyland is really, really up there. And it's funny, it's a movie I didn't have any particular interest in seeing. It's one of those movies I thought, I know I should want to, but I don't. And I watched well, that, it. That's yeah. sort of like... Not that you had low expectations, but when your expectations are completely blown out of the water. Oh my God! Yes, yeah. uh, it's you know it's about the last beekeeper in Macedonia, and <laughs> and and right there I'm like yeah. really. Uh, uh, but <laughs> first of all, the cinematography is just yeah. glorious, yeah. and then the other thing is that this story is absolutely fascinating, and it is such a gut wrenching microcosm of what is wrong with our planet today. Mm. I just can't recommend it enough. It's such a good movie. Awesome. And also out on home video this week, one that we just talked about last week. They're getting it right out in time for Halloween. It's the lackluster horror movie reboot. Not a really a reboot, but a retread, I should yeah. say, called Trick. Yeah, it's just one of those movies that churns out every trope, every horror trope. Hopes that it's just, you know, if this isn't scary, maybe that'll scare you. And none of it is scary. And it's just... It's just not very good. Yeah. Next week looks like a loaded week, led by one we just saw last night uh, that we love called Parasite. Love it! We were just talking about that at lunch. I can't stop thinking about that movie. Man, love it. Terminator Dark Fate comes out next week as well, plus Harriet, the Harriet Tubman, which I think turns her into a superhero, which intrigues me no end. Oh, exactly. That's going to be fantastic. Another one you just watched, we both watched, called Where's My Roy Cohn? That's another uh, documentary coming up. Not a superhero movie. (laughs) Oh, Lord, no. Paradise (laughs) Hills. Yep, Cat McAlpine is going to write that review for us. And another documentary, Making Waves, The Art of Cinematic Sound, which I was very, very interested in. That comes out next week. And then, two, we've got question marks. Uh, We're looking for possibly releases of Arctic Dogs and Motherless Brooklyn. So it could be a busy, busy one next week in the screening room. But until then, oh, if you want to talk about the lighthouse, matey, (laughs) come on. We would love to do that. You can always find us uh, on Twitter. That's easy. We're at Mad Wolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. 
also on Instagram and Facebook. It's Mad Wolf Columbus. Always love to keep the conversation going about movies. And we always appreciate, of course, you stopping by the screening room. And wherever you happen to be listening, if you could take a minute to uh, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast, we would be so happy. Yes, we sure would. So until next week, thanks again. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. Arr! I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye.